You're listening to Saber and Sage Unplugged, and I'm your host, Stephanie Renee. Each season, I'll be hooking up with a diverse group of folks that are unplugging and giving an unfiltered glimpse into their lives, creative process, and dropping that sage advice to carry us through life. Welcome to season one. For this very first season of Saber and Sage Unplugged, we're focusing on the journey. Because life's a journey, right? Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines a journey as travel or passage from one place to another, to travel over something or to travel through it. Each of my guests this season has a unique journey. They have a story to tell. And as my man Drake said, sometimes it's the journey that teaches you a lot about your destination. For this episode, I'm speaking with Colleen Vincent and Clay Williams of Black Food Folks. Black Food Folks exists to provide resources and foster community among Black professionals in the food and drink industry who are most often ignored or erased in the landscape of American cuisine. Their mission is to counter the erasure of Black voices in the industry by promoting and supporting the work they do and offering a platform for them to connect and share their stories. They're doing it for the culture, y'all, so let's get into it. Individually, where did your food journey begin? Um, okay, I'll go first. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm going to preface this by saying the way that I feel about food and the way Clay feels about food are two different things. Okay. Um, uh, my, the thing that I love is culture overall. Um, and so food is an aspect of that. And there's also expression of so many different aspects of the culture at the same time. Um, but food was never like, oh, I'm going to work in food. And this is not to say, I mean, I grew up in a household with good food. I grew up in um, Brooklyn, New York. So good food was like around. It was just a matter of, it was just normal. Um, and my journey with food, which I never really thought about until, you know, I got older was that, um, you know, I worked in a mess hall and, um, you know, it was one of my, uh, college jobs and uh you know there was such camaraderie among all of us um I did not cook I cleaned um uh, which you know is humbling work um but I I love I love doing that kind of like physical labor that takes me out of you know my own head um and also bonds me to the people that I'm doing it with so they you know like mopping up a huge floor and and washing so many dishes and going home like crusty and dirty and tired, um, which sounds horrible. Um, and certainly the laundry was horrible, but there was a sense of camaraderie um, about that. But I never thought about um, cooking for a whole set of people. First of all, I'm selfish. Second of all, um, even though I cook very well, it's not something that... Um, it's not something that I generally do for much more than like people that I love. And that's usually like a one-on-one -on -one thing. So, you know, people that get to eat the food that I cook is generally like I made it for us, you know? So my cooking is really like 
Sundays with somebody who is very important to me. Um, but it's not like something I just do mostly because cooking requires a lot of time and energy. And, um, even though I have both of those things, I'd rather, sometimes I'd rather read a book. (laughs) I'd actually rather read a book about food, about, um, you know, a food biography or a food history. Mm -hmm. Um, like, you know, that's the type of thing that I like to do about food. I like learning about all the, like all the things that led to this food or this style of food or where this food comes from. Like that, that I enjoy thoroughly. Um, So that's really how I I think about and interact with food as an aspect of culture, as an art form, um, as a historical touch piece, um, and as a way and path forward for people who might not necessarily have the same opportunities in other spheres because of the level of everything that's involved in other a lot of other spheres mm-hmm. um so yeah food is is it's just part of a broader um conversation always for me nice thank you and how about you Claire? so uh i um i i've never worked in a kitchen i've never uh, worked the line or anything like that i haven't gone to culinary school but i love cooking um i love eating um and um i hit a point when i i sort of discovered uh all that after um after college and uh sort of fell down the rabbit hole got really interested in 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 exploring like how food worked and all that. And so that, that, that's sort of what started the journey for me. Um, I would go to, uh, you know, in the early two thousands when, you know, Brooklyn was first starting to sort of blow up. Um, I was going to like butchering classes and, um, I was, you know, I would go to the grocery store, to the butcher shop and like, just pick something I never heard of so that I could figure out what to do with it. Um, I worked at a company where, um, there were, you know, free cookbooks and, and cooking magazines available. And so I would, I, I fell down, I, I, I sort of fell into that. Um, and so as a photographer, um, or rather as someone who was interested in photography as a hobby at the time, I always had my camera with me when I was doing those things. I was always sort of, uh, you know, if I, if I was going to dinner at like a, a place with the chef's counter or something like that, I always wanted to be there. I always wanted to see what's happening, how things were made as much to figure out, to understand it for myself as anything else. Um, and so when I started doing photography full time and I started um, writing, uh, a bit more. I um, the the areas I explored the most were food related, um, and um, you know I was uh, the clients I ended up working for. My first um, the first uh, reporting beat I was on was all uh, like food and drink and nightlife related, and so um. And so, yeah, that's what, that's what took me here. And that's what like influenced the work that I do as a photographer. Um, you know, I, 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 I work the Colleen and I met because I've been doing work for the chance beard foundation for the last seven years or so. Oh, wow. Um, 
you know, photographing a lot of times in kitchens with chefs, working with them to, um, to best represent their dishes and, and to capture the, the work and the action that they're putting into it. Um, and so that's, that's what, that's what got me into, into the food portion of all this. Yeah. It's interesting that you both have these kind of two different views because I feel like I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah in the content that you all are putting out. Um, I think it's like this good balance of, and then looking at your feed all the time, Clay, makes me hungry. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, under uh, you can see what my interests uh, my interests are based on like what my my lockdown was like. The, the photos mm-hmm. posted were, you know, the first thing I could do actually, um, you know, when the quarantine started, um, I lost all of my gigs. Everything I had planned for the year was gone. Um, everything was postponed or canceled. Um, even my editorial assignments were put on hold because no one knew when restaurants were going to be open again. And so, um, you know, I, my brain sort of shut down and like the only thing I could do and focus on was, was cooking for me and my wife. Like that was it. I, I like sort of had a tunnel vision situation where like, that's as long as we were fed, (laughs) like that's something I could do. It's something I could focus on. I, I stopped watching the news. I stopped you know, like seeing what else is going on because it's like, this is the thing that I can actually have an effect on. And, um, and it was even like weeks after that when, before I could even pick up my camera to document any of that. But yeah. it was, uh, it was a big part of, of sort of keeping it together for me um, while, uh, while we were on the lockdown. Yeah. I mean, I think, it's been, I've been so amazed by how many people are cooking now, just, absolutely. you know, and I think it's because it's been, they're using it as like coping. They're trying to de-stress because this is a stressful time. Yep. And um, it's been, it's been this healing process, I think, for a lot of people. And it's interesting that it's been a healing process. And then at the same time, you have the food industry, the hospitality industry, one of the, the hit the hardest um, through all of this. Um, Colleen, so you're at James Beard. What exactly do you do at James Beard? So at the present moment, I'm director of culinary community initiatives, Mm. um, which is kind of an extension of um, something that I have been doing informally um, pretty much my whole time there. um, Because I noticed very early on, um, I was like, where are the black people? Um, because, you know, I was there, my whole little department, um, we were all black. In fact, I worked with a mom and daughter, um, the people who worked in the, um, on the Porter staff, like the kitchen staff, you know, uh, black and, uh, Latinx people. Um, so like we were all there, um, and, you know, I kept hearing, like certain personalities, you know, calling out the foundation going like, oh, no, no, they don't work there. Like, there's no, and I was just like, you're erasing us. We are here. We're literally, you know, our finance team, like literally the people that make sure that stuff runs. Um, And, 
I noticed that um, in terms of um, who was being feted and lionized and celebrated um, was not the same experience that I had growing up. You know, we didn't, you know, obviously we weren't going to like fancy restaurants all the time or whatever, you know, um, okay. good food was good food. Um, but I saw who was allowed to cook like the food that mattered, quote unquote. Um, and it made it seem like nobody else existed. Like only these people, yeah. um, were doing this. Um, so that didn't look right to me. That just didn't look right to me. Um, and so, you know, I made it very known that that didn't look right to me and that this is something we need to think about like very deliberately, um, and challenge head on. Um, because I didn't have the kind of like institutional power to do that um you know i used the personal power that i had to do that um and so that's the that's the part about forming communities you can form communities with anyone right and i form communities with my coworkers, um strong communities with my coworkers across the lines and and kept bringing people to their attention i'm like oh what about this person like maybe we need to think about this maybe we should do this um, and use that personal power of community to like put as many people on in the ways that I could um, because who am I right I'm like the reservations manager but I also sit next to who the woman who programs house events I also was um, doing the logistics for our beard on book series which like celebrated um, authors and had like salon talks Mm. with um food authors of all kinds um and so in those little tiny ways of and spheres of influence you know i was i kept looking because somehow you know and i always say this somehow some way like i don't know all the black people certainly all the people of color we can all find each other despite the fact that other people said that they can't yeah um and we can all find each other even before we're like break out into whatever XYZ uh, mainstream success looks like. And so I use that personal power um, to, you know, essentially give an additional platform to members of our communities, you know? So mm -hmm. I, the first way I was able to do that was um, with the Beard on Book series. Um, and then, um, you know, I was able to have because of the conversations with my um, beloved colleague, who was the person that booked all the chefs coming to outdoors and had relationships with all of them, you know, make recommendations. Um, and so while I didn't have the institutional power to like sign off on stuff, um, you know, I used whatever influence I could to kind of, you know, um, make the door a little bit wider for people who are already doing amazing things. Mm -hmm. um, and part of that was that, you know, there's a part, there's always a part, right? At least uh, I would say, so I'm like, what, the end of, we're like the end of Gen X play, something like that? Maybe uh, like, yeah, about. Yeah, so there's the old part, right? Um, that's raised by like the boomer parents that says, uh, or, or the me generation parents, um, and that says like, um, yeah, you know, if you do hard work and da 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 da, da you'll get to X Y Z level, right? But then there's the cynical Gen X part, right? 
that also knows like me generation folks, right? So cynical Gen X part that knows that like, eh, nobody's going to give you anything. Like you literally have to like sneak in through back doors. I mean, Gen Z and millennials just kicking the door open, mm -hmm. but we're all like, we got to go through the back door. But like, we already know that no, no, because I think we were like the ones, like when we graduated from college, it was like, yeah, there's this bubble, but it's about to burst. You're not going to be rich before you turn 30. You know what I mean? But we always, you know, that, that aspect of like um, cynicism, but also like understanding like personal power, I think is something that we learn probably from being like latchkey kids and stuff like that. But, you know, <laughs> definitely going like, I don't like the way this looks. Let me see what I can do. You know? Well, yeah, Colleen and I are both, uh, you know, we got out of school exactly in time for the first, like, sort of dot-com bust yeah. uh, in uh, the, the end of the 90s, early 2000s. And, um, and so, you know, we had to, we had to sort of create our own things. Um, that was always, like, a part of, of, of getting anything done. I mean, you know, uh, we both... You know, we we're the same age. Um, Colleen's older <clears throat> by a couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> I'm ready. But, <laughs> um, but like we both were in, you know, went to uh, went to college at the same time when he WIs by the way. He WIs, predominantly white institutions. Yes, yes, um, and. And, you know, we had to create our own thing. We had to create our own spaces. Um, you know, uh, it was, it's just sort of a part of, of existing in those spaces uh, mm -hmm. is, is having to um, carve out room for yourself because it's not there for you by default, right? Um, and so that's that's basically just to get into like specifically what Black Food Folks is about. That's what this is. I mean, Colleen and I um, uh, both found ourselves. Well, I'll speak for myself. I found myself um, more established at a certain point. You know, I've been uh, I've been a photographer for professionally or semi-professionally for getting close to fourteen years. And, um, and I realized, you know, a couple of years ago that I was hitting a point where people were starting to see me as, um, as someone who's, who's been there, who, who has gotten to a certain point beyond just like, just, you know, for me, I'm still just hustling. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, but I've been in it long enough to have made a community to have, uh, made connections with people like Colleen with people like our friend Nicole Taylor, with a, a lot of folks. And I've learned a, a bit about navigating this, like, this sort of food world that, that often erases us, right? right. And so, you know, to, to circle back to, like, the, the whole thing about Black Food Folks, it was the point where I realized that, that our that there was more that I could do. There's more that we could do. Um, you know, we, a long standing 
thing that we've done that I think everybody does, but that we've done in particular is having like, you know, we have one-on-ones, we have coffee, you know, we have drinks with somebody. We talk about, we talk about like how, how things are going in the industry. Like, you know, I, I'll, when I first started out and this is not, you know, this is not just with, with black folks. This is with like everybody. everybody yeah. you know, I would regularly try to have, you know, have like coffee meetings with folks just to find out about like, about what I don't know. Right. right. Like and, informational meetings. Yeah. And I mean, mm-hmm. and, and these are, these weren't just people who might hire me. These are people that maybe I wanted to work with sometimes or, or who, you know, uh, like our friend Nicole Taylor, like we, we sort of came up together. You know, I remember the first time we sat down and had coffee at like Saragina and Bed-Stuy and, and, you know, she was doing her hustle. I was doing mine. She was writing and, and I'm, I'm like getting started in photography and, you know, we would talk about like, how, if any way, there was any way we could we could work together, or like, well, I'm trying to do these things, you're trying to do those things. Can we help each other, right? And so, um, and so, having you know, having done that from the start, and realizing that the dynamic was changing, and that I was more often the person that people were coming to to find out about how yeah. they can get through this Thanks. industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, and Colleen has had the same experience, uh, you know, it, it became clear that like, there was more that we could do, where there's more that I felt like I could do. Um, so from there, it was, you know, Colleen and I talked a couple of times about it and talked about like, well, what can we do? And, 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 you know, I just wanted to, I just wanted to get a couple people together for drinks. I was like, <laughs> yeah. You know, we'll get the back room of a bar somewhere and we'll get like 15, 20, maybe, maybe 30 people. Colleen turned it up to 11. Um, And, you know, instead of it being a bar somewhere, it was at her dad's uh, event space and and office. Um, And instead of it being, you know, 15 to 30 people, it ended up being 100 people. And we ended up with this giant list of people who... um, Oh, wow who were all black and in the industry. Yeah. Um, and so like, that's, that's how black food folks was born. It was out of this thing that Colleen's talking about, about like needing to just create our own thing because we can't depend on anyone else to do it for us. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the questions I was going to ask you, like, what was that pivotal kind of point where it's like, we got to start this thing. Right. Um, yeah. And like, it wasn't like, we got to start this thing. It was like, we got to do this thing. And then the community kind of like said, oh, well, we got to keep doing this thing. And this now this is the thing, you know, yeah. because like in many ways, what was happening is like, you know, what Clay talks about like that, like communal consult, like people keep talking to you about what they're doing and they respect you enough to, first of all, ask your opinion, but also ask if there are any doors you can help them open. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I felt like that was, that for at least for clay and i and certainly for nicole um was something that um is just embedded in us you know what i mean like to Mm -hmm. do for each other i mean i think that honestly i think that's a trait of the diaspora in general 
Um, and I'm very grateful for that um, yeah. because I've had a lot of people along the way who have shown me things who have like made the world much bigger than I had imagined it to be. You know, one of those people for me who, um, you know, Dr. Leslie Harvell is certainly one of them and Therese Nelson is another one of them and Erica Dupree Klein is another one of them. And these were all people who in their own very small corners of the world um, decided that there was information out there or um, things that needed to be seen mm -hmm. um, that represented us in all our various glories that weren't out there. So they said, let me do this thing. Yeah. You know, so they just did it, you know, and I had never, I'm a person like I always have, I have a million ideas all the time. Um, and, you know, I'm really feisty. Um, <laughs> and, and so you could say, I mean, I'm definitely my dad's child. Um, and so I'm really feisty, not about myself though, about other people, other I'm people. Really feisty about other people. And I'm just like, Oh, this is not right. Oh, this needs to be this, you know, um, or, you know, this could be this thing. So like in any way, shape or form that I could, um, not just open that door, but like keep things in the, in the forefront, mm -hmm. um, and not in terms of like, oh, let's get, you know, everybody accepted by the mainstream. It was more like, well, this is important. This needs to happen. Or um, this is important. Like, I should be there to learn. Or this is important. Um, let's make sure that this gets the attention that it needs. Or this is important. Like, how do we jump over all the stupid hurdles that are always in place? Like, all the time. Um, you know, navigating bureaucracy, navigating people's implicit biases, mm -hmm. navigating like all the stupid questions um, that inevitably come before all the things. And so I was like, okay, um, sure, why not? So when Clay came to me with, you know, and I love a challenge, uh, when Clay came to me with this, I was just like, well, I got a space and a pretty like flexible, you know, parent um who loves meeting new people anyway and has been doing this kind of work um very specifically in the caribbean community um in terms of like music since he got here in the 70s um so like when i told him what we we're gonna do and it wasn't like oh what we're trying to do it's like no what we're gonna do is gonna convene some people right it wasn't gonna be anything more um and he was just like oh then we're going to do it here. We're going to do it in the backyard. I'm going to color it nice and make it whatever. And he's been extremely supportive, you know, but it was like, oh, okay. And then people were like, the, the fact that was really amazing to me, you know, um, was not that all these people wanted to come, but that all of these people were willing to come to like Flatbush, Brooklyn. Yeah. On a Monday, they all, a Monday in February, they all decided. Oh, wow. That, yeah, they're coming out to Flatbush. And yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, right? So we, you know, the idea of Black Food Folks was initially just get some folks together. And maybe it becomes a series of things, uh, you know, of, of get togethers, but it was never meant to be huge. It was never meant maybe. to be anything like, like this. It was It was only after seeing the turnout and seeing the passion that people had for it that we said, okay, well, now we have to, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna keep doing this. We had already created the Instagram account um, and, and hosted the first event. And 
really it was meant to be about like about connecting people and building community because um the industry and i mean all aspects of the industry the media side the restaurant side whatever um is always telling us that that there are not that many of us right. and you know just that gathering proved that that wasn't true right. you know, we put that together in less than two weeks um just just via like friends and friends of friends right just we texted people we emailed people um we put started putting together an rsvp list sent out an update saying that that's what's going to happen and then you know we got folks who came from connecticut who from from dc detroit Uh um you know and that was that was just the first thing so the Um, very first event when was that that was February of uh, last year. Was it the February twenty fifth? Uh, something like that. Um, and that was, uh, yeah, about sixteen months ago. Yeah, February twenty fifth. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, that's how it, that's how it started, right? Um, and you know, and and our 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 primary focus at the time was like, how can we all help each other? It wasn't like how can Colleen and Clay like do something for the community. It's that every time we talk to somebody, you know, along the lines of our friend Nicole Taylor, every time we talk to somebody who was asking questions about like, oh, I need to know how to do this, or I'm trying to get to this, or my goal is to be able to do that, you know, when either of us are talking to somebody, it's like, oh yeah, you got to talk to that person because they're doing something like this. You know, this person has gone through what you're talking about or has a little more experience. You should talk to them. And, and it was basically just like, instead of having a bunch of emails of introductions, it was like, Hey, why don't we just put those people in a room and then they can connect with each other um, and figure out how they can help each other. Right. It was all about, mutual support um it was all about making it so that we knew about each other so that we could help each other Mm. Um, and it was not it was not ever you know like she she exclusive in the sense of like you know there yes there were people there that were well established like veterans well-respected people but there were even like there were students there too people were just starting out in their career like young folks old folks middle-aged folks like across the board you know it was a a space where everyone was welcome no matter what stage they were in their career because like we've all been at the beginning yeah and you know and this lie that's perpetuated um that you know it just never made any sense to me this lie that's perpetuated that there's only cream that rises to the top and you know there's not this doesn't like that we are not literally in every single aspect of this industry and happened since the very beginning was blown to smithereens for any especially for any younger person that was in that room like it was completely shattered yeah um because you had people who were doing everything you could think of in every aspect of the industry Mm -hmm. the various influences that we've seen you we just sort of put together a lot of things right. um, that we saw other people doing 
So mm -hmm. um, that year, Colleen had gone to uh, re the first resistance served. And um, the, just, yeah. just like a week or a couple of weeks before, right? Right, and then also um, um, Gumbo. Gumbo Jubilee. Yeah. Uh, so Dr. Howard Conyers, who uh -huh. is, a, you know, he's an amateur pit master, that's what they say, but really like barbecue has been in his family for generations. Um, he is a, a NASA engineer. Um, Literally a rocket scientist. Yeah. Um, and he, um, he has had a show for PBS Digital called Nourish, where he talked about Southern foodways and snuck mm -hmm. in there through like black lenses. Yeah. Um, and he comes from um, South Carolina, but he lives in New Orleans. Um, and his family is still in South Carolina. Um, his dad is, is like famous for his sweet potatoes. A lot of chefs use them up and down the Eastern corridor now. And uh, he put together something called Gumbo Jubilee. Um, so he had this show and he puts together Gumbo Jubilee because he wants, you know, he wants us to understand that barbecue culture is ours and comes from us. And so he had barbecued all kind. He had done this for different animals. So he was going to do it with a whole cow. He went to do it for a whole cow. He found like, he found the specs for it. Um, and then being an engineer, he drew up his own um, specifications with his father um, and invited, you know, a whole lot of black folks um, to come and partake, partake in this event. It became a broader event when Adrian Miller became involved because so we had a series of like conversations before all of that. Mm -hmm. um, and when we were there um, among, you know, the, the event itself, like you get the whole cow, you've got, um, you've got the, um, what do you call them again? The, the Indians, um, the, the, in, the South Carolina, I'm sorry, New Orleans masked Indians. Oh, yeah. 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 So the, you have that, you have like, um, you have like a local DJ and a Zydeco band. Um, and then um, he created like um, a small award ceremony, mm. small, big, um, that honored people that he, um, that he admired. And so in the, we, in the months preceding that, we had developed a friendship via like email and on the phone um, because he wanted to give one of these awards to Therese Nelson, who's another friend of ours and certainly an inspiration. She created BlackCulinaryHistory.com, which is a curation of books about Black culinary history, period. Um, she is a scholar and like a steward of Black food history. Um, and the host for us on Black Food Folks. Uh, yeah, Afropunk. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Politics of food. Um, and then, you know, pinch hits during the week as well. And so this woman who... She's like, actually on right now talking to Adrian Miller. Adrian okay. Miller. <laughs> um, who is like this soft-spoken, um, really brilliant woman who has a, an amazing way with words and has so much, um, has given so much to the community in terms of like restorative history, in terms of um, like just how how much how people feel about her like as the keeper of so much mm -hmm. um, black history um, and an amazing writer as well. Um, so 
we have a friendship that kind of developed, you know, prior to her being part of like the Hemings Foundation dinner at JBF. Um, and so he asked me um, to just like give him some background information while he was making this award. He ended up giving one to her, to um, Vance Vasseron, who the Sausage King um, okay. of New Orleans, and then also to Chef BJ Dennis. Um, and so, you know, he actually asked me to give the speech for Therese. She was completely surprised that she was getting that award and, and so she cried and all of those things. Um, but this man is like incredibly brilliant and incredibly humble and incredibly driven. Um, and, you know, I was really like, when I saw what he put together and like how this person, again, outsider, you know, like he doesn't need our industry to live. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, decided that this was that important that he had to do this um, and how much love and honor he had for people who were doing this work. You know, I was like floating on cloud nine after yeah, that. Yeah. You have like, you, know, you have resistance serve, which is like the rally and cry of, um, you know, a generation that's after mine that is not going to take like no for an answer and is all about creating their own lanes um, very vividly and also, you know, has a connection to those stories. And actually Dr. Conyers participated on one of the panels there too. Michael Twitty gave like, the ultimate read to race was one of the um one of the panel moderators also um and just like you know all of these amazing people and i felt first of all certainly not siloed anymore in all these like as i call them you know secret black conversations i mean i have yeah. a lot of secret conversations with a lot of people but um you know, not the silo anymore, but also seeing that people like, hey, we could do stuff and not have outside interference. Yeah. And we could do stuff and people are going to show up and we could do stuff and people are really hungry for all of this stuff. So it was like the perfect timing yeah. as far as I was concerned. And I had the perfect partner as far as I am concerned, you know, because yeah. like um, Clay and I have the same love for our community that we express in different ways yeah um but it also you know because we're not beholden to the same things as other members of our community might be mm -hmm. we there's certain things that we can do yeah you know what I mean? and we also have different levels of access right yeah i mean it's it's interesting we're both um sort of in the community, but not of the community, or uh, not the community, uh, the industry, I should say. Uh -huh, uh -huh. We're both um, we're both a part of it, but we're not entrenched in the middle of it. So we're not, you know, I didn't go to culinary school. I, I, I've never worked a line. I don't, you know, I'm not worried about who my chef is or anything like that. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm a photographer and I'm a freelancer and I, I work for a lot of different clients. Um, and that means I, I, I shoot for editorial clients, I shoot for event clients, I shoot for restaurants, meaning I work with folks all throughout. Mm -hmm. um, most, people, most people will just know sort of one corner of the industry. Colleen's the same way where, you know, working for the Beard Foundation, um, you know, she's got... Uh, a lot of experience working with 
working with chefs, working with brands, working with like, you know, PR, like, you know, events, that sort of thing. Like there's a, a breadth to our exposure yeah. um, to the industry. And because of that, that means we know, we see more. Right. Um, right. Because, you know, if you're a line cook, you know what your experience is. And maybe you know what the experience is of some other line cooks in your own, like in your restaurant or in the restaurants where you worked before, or maybe people you went to school with or whatever. But like, you don't know that the thing that you've been dealing with is just like the thing that this food writer is dealing with, mm-hmm. or just like this thing that, you know, a photographer is dealing with or an event producer is dealing with. Um, and having talked to all those people, having connected with all those people, the two of us had a whole different, wider perspective. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's what's like pretty amazing about this whole thing is because like you mentioned, Colleen, just breaking down those silos. Um, because when we are in those silos, people, you tend to think like you're the only one there. Right. Um, or this little small group of folks are the only folks there. Um, and this is really about like looking at the, the integration of everything and how we're all connected. And I think that's a beautiful. beautiful yeah. Thing. I mean, the thing is that, right. Like when you even look at things like um, the part of the civil rights movement, the era of the civil rights movement that we always talk about, like that particular era, even though it's been going on for way longer before and certainly after the reason that it could garner so much attention is because it had different parts happening at the same time, supporting one another. You know what I mean? So you had people who opened their restaurants, you had people who were farming, who were feeding people, you had people who opened their homes, you had people who gave people spiritual um, succor, you had people who put their bodies on the line, you had people who were strapped, no matter what people try to tell you, there were people, you know, the, the, the basically the hanging threat is like, commit the violence on our bodies, Yes, um, and if y'all don't change our mind, like we have soldiers behind all of us in the back. So there's always been like parts working in integration with one another. And I think, um, you know, one of the challenges for our community is that there have been so many both conscious and unconscious efforts to keep us kind of tucked in away from one another and also pitted against one another. Like, I mean, you see it everywhere. It's like, oh, there can be only one. Like, it's freaking yeah. highlight or some nonsense. When that's absolutely not true. Like, you, you know, that's not true. Like, you can just look at what is mainstream to know that that's not true. That we can have, like, 18 different conversations going on about the different regions of Italy and the terroir and the... <laughs> yes. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, okay, but the, the diaspora is way bigger than Italy. We can have 30 different conversations about what is going on without going like, and then slavery and da 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 da. It's like, well, there's a lot of things that happened before and after and during. Like, we can have an endless conversation about this. And you know what? All of us, we got people here, like, we don't only know how to make one dish and one cuisine. And the one cuisine that you always think about has so many different aspects to it. Right. You know, and that also we know how to talk about a lot of other things because whether you like it or not, in particular, this particular diaspora 
has touched every aspect of world culture. Yeah. So we can talk about a lot of different things. And also a lot of us have, we have our own personal experiences. A lot of us have gone to schools and trainings and all the things, right? And we've also learned that we have to be cognizant of what's happening in the broader world for our own safety and then our personal experience. So we do know how to talk about a lot of different things in a lot of different ways. And we yeah. can express our art in all the ways, both imaginable and unimaginable. So like, why do we have to be alone? Why do we have to be the one wonderkind? Exactly. Why do we have to like be, you know, why do we have to like share the cover with all these other people and be folded on the inside because nobody knows who that is. Like, why do our stories, why can't our stories and all the stories of other people be told by people who look like us and photographed by people who look like us? Um, our dishes are aesthetic if we want them to be. Our culture is, you know, valuable and our culture is the culture of yeah. the world in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. And the problem is for us, and you know, Clay speaks to this all the time, is that we're only allowed to tell one story one way from point zero or even negative one. On Black Food Folks is that we center ourselves and, and our experiences, like our audience is us. Um, and the people featured are us and everybody else is invited into the conversation and you want to know why? One of those things that you just mentioned is that like for some reason white people, white audiences think they, they get to be the experts on everything. Mm -hmm. they, they just really just get to be the experts on everything and including our personal expression. Um, and so it doesn't, it's, it's not surprising to me that something like that would happen. Um, because, you know, they, you know, everybody's woke now, whatever. Um, and so they think they are fluent in certain things. And it's like, well, the reason, like for us, I said, the reason people felt bad about fried chicken and watermelon is literally not because there's anything bad about any of those things. No, those things are delicious. It's delicious. Watermelon right. is from Africa. It comes in many colors. And when they bring it up from the South, I'm going to buy it off the truck because it's good and it's delicious and it's also nutritious and hydrating. But, but that's now, not the only thing that we do. Right, it's only right because, exactly. It's only because we keep getting pigeonholed into this is the only thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, and, and you know, this happens a lot with a lot of cultures, right? I mean, you know, red sauce Italian for years was all anyone said Italians eat, right? But then like, but then they were able to tell their stories, right? right? And now suddenly everybody knows about Piedmont and Sicily and this place and that place and Roman food and porchetta and like whatever, right? Like all we're saying is that, you know, that of all the black people in the damn world, we should be able to have more than one story. It's not all fried chicken, right? right. Sometimes it's feijoada, sometimes it's rice and peas, right? Like sometimes it's oxtails, right? Like, like there's there's a lot <laughs> to our culture and mm -hmm. and yeah there should be you know we should be able to represent all of it including fried chicken mm -hmm. but like you know but also all these other things that we do exactly and we're not any less qualified to to also do red sauce italian or like okay. porchetta or you know chinese food or whatever right mm -hmm. like we can do we have depth Right. You know, and that's that's what it's about. And that's why like 
that's why I don't really see the need. Like when, when we talk about what black food folks is about, you know, it's about us talking to each other, right? It's about us telling our stories to each other. It's about having a dialogue that's not, um, not filtered through someone else's experience. Yeah. It's, it's being able to say, I am Bryant Terry and, you know, I'm vegan and, you know, and this is my experience. This is why it's political for me. This is why it's, you know, cultural for me. This is why it's any of those things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can talk to, um, we can have conversations with uh, Paolo Velez, who's Afro-Dominican, who, you know, is a pastry chef and uh, in D.C. and is doing amazing things like um, sourcing or, 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 or working with our ancestral ingredients, right? Uh, co-founded know. Bakers Against Racism. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's any number of folks doing a lot of different things. And, um, and that's, and that, those are the conversations we want to be able to have. And we don't want to have to, you know, and not, we don't all, we're not all coming from the same place. So not everyone's going to understand everything that folks are, where folks are coming from, but it's wanting to, and it's having at least common language and common, um, you know, common perspectives mm-hmm. that helps create a dialogue that is not that is not fixed on you know where one side is always coming from the white quote unquote mainstream perspective mm-hmm. um, you know we ever since ever since the quarantine started or happened you know the what we've been doing on on for black food folks has been having these conversations because we wanted to be able to not just be about me and Colleen. We wanted it to be, we wanted to have conversations that reflect multiple people from multiple perspectives in the industry. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've had Omar Tate uh, interviewing people that he, wanted to connect with that he respected and wanted to learn more about right we've had uh, a retta itar of uh who's a sous chef chef at gramercy tavern Mm. who who you know wants to talk about like being black and fine dining what does that mean right and she's talked to other people who are who are uh chefs and cooks and 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 that sort of thing but you know she had a great conversation with um zwang gray's uh, who is a sommelier mm. in fine dining. And that was a fantastic, like, sort of trading of notes with yeah. front of house and back of house because they've both seen what the fine dining world is like from different perspectives, right? Um, like, to me, those com- these conversations are about uh, informed discussions, um, um, you know, right now, or it's probably over by now, but yeah, so, you know, uh, yeah. Therese, Therese Nelson, who we're, uh, we're talking about earlier, who is, you know, in her right, like a culinary historian, as well as a chef, um, was talking to Adrian Miller, who's mm-hmm. a scholar, who is a James Bo- a Beard Bo- uh, award-winning scholar 
in in black food history, right? Yeah. And so, I just saw him on because I didn't know who he was at first, but then I was watching. Um, I think it was somewhere south. Okay. On, um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think he was on that recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and so and so you know, all that's all that is to say that you know is that there are, are a wide variety of conversations that can happen. And, you know, for us, for me, um, you know, that goes beyond just, you know, the two of us talking to folks. It's not about, Black Food Folks isn't about playing Colleen. No. You know, we're, uh, it's, about, it's about the community. Yeah. Um, and so being able to bring in folks from the community to, um, to converse and to uh, and to build uh, and to inform the larger community um, is what's is is like the primary one of the primary goals for the organization as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and it also it, it allows us to not wait for our flowers. You yeah, know what I mean? right. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's so much of time like waiting for the flowers, and it's just like. Why? We can give them now. Exactly. We can, we can do it right now with the people that we admire, the people that are doing labor, maybe unheard, and, and maybe they love what they do, but like they deserve our recognition and support in one way or another. You know, I think that emotional support is extremely important. Um, that feeling, not just the feeling of like being the only one, but also like, I, and I can speak. I can speak for me is that when you work for certain places and and in certain like configurations of people getting that appreciation mm-hmm. is really like it becomes an exercise you know and and maybe some of us are further along with how we feel about it than others but i think for wherever we are in that stage of our like emotional um our emotional needs we do need that recognition yeah exactly from our peers in particular we do need that that recognition that the work that we're doing is good and valuable and that we are seen that people can see us and we don't need to explain ourselves to people we can talk passionately about what we do and how we do it and how we got to this place but we are seen we are understood um and that we are loved and that like we matter and if you know if we can at least capture that for archival purposes for inspirational purposes um for guidance purposes then that's you know that's what we're doing because at least we can always say to whomever comes after us that we were here and that's not our ancestors don't have the same they they didn't get the same thing they didn't all get the same thing you know what i mean yeah. So we, I mean, it's their ancestors, yeah. right? Like, I mean, you know, last year, Jessica Harris uh, had quite the speech at the James Beard Media Awards where she talked about the fact that she'd been doing, she she was getting, uh, what was the word exactly? It wasn't Lifetime Achievement. That was supposed to be this was year. Was it a who's who? Who's who? Like, in the who's who is when you're like the, the um, it's like the, like, um, not life it's not lifetime achievement who's who is like the like the like legend canon you know what i mean okay. yeah but she when she was being honored by the beard foundation and she made a point of saying you know i've been doing this for 30 odd years i've been i was at the first 
awards. And, yeah. you know, and it took this long for me to be, you know, to be honored at all in this space, right? Like, you know, you talk about, you know, everybody canonizes uh, Edna Lewis, but where were they when she was doing the work, right? When she was out there. And, and so, yeah, I mean, people want to, you know, people need to know that what they're doing is worthwhile. Yeah. And, and, it, and, you know, I think it also goes both ways because it's not just about honoring folks. It's about other people seeing what, they, the, what these other people are doing. It's, it's understanding that, like, you know, the, the trap that food media, whoever has fallen into through the years has been that, you know, there can ever, like Colleen was saying earlier, the Highlander trap, like there can only be one, there can be only one, right? Like, you know, um, Patrick Clark was the one at his time, and then he was erased, right? Yep. You know, Marcus Samuelson was one for a long time. And then, I mean, he's still doing his thing. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, he has, he has worked um, to, to, to build up the, the folks in his, in, his, in his restaurant group, and he's, he's mentored people and that whole thing. Um, you know, for a while it was, you know, it was JJ, Chef JJ Johnson, right, when he was at the Cecil. Um, and, and later the Henry, um, you know, and, and then, and then there was Eduardo Jordan. And so the idea that there's only ever one at a time means that, means that there are all the other stories not being told, meaning that everybody else coming up can only ever look at one person right. because they don't know there's another way. Right? They don't know there are other options. Um, you know, what we're doing is as much to make sure that the rest of us know as anything else that, you know, these folks are doing what they're yeah. doing. You know, I mean, having two historians on right now, I hope inspires somebody to say, well, I'm going to go tell, I'm going to go find some, something else out. Right? Yeah. Like, oh, educate yourself. And I think that's what's beautiful because it, there is this educational aspect to it to inspire um, right. folks to go out and find out more. So, and I know we've gone more than an hour. But <laughs> okay. um, so what's next for Black food folks? Like, do you all get ideas from other folks to do things? And I know y'all are in New York, but do you ever do anything? Or have you thought about doing anything yeah. in California? Well, we traveled. <laughs> when, before quarantine, we traveled. Yeah, and oh, really? traveled. yeah, yeah. like we traveled. When we, when we would travel, we would have meetups everywhere we went. Uh, so, like, I mean, ultimately, Clay and I's vision is probably all 50, 50 contiguous states. Um, and Puerto Rico hopefully but you know that is part of what we want and like we are always we have global connections as well so like you know this game is like it's you know it's not a it's not a regional game for us it's a whole it's a whole it's a whole planet kind of game so yeah yeah so yeah that's absolutely in the plan I mean last year we had meetups smaller meetups in 
um, Detroit, New Orleans, Charlotte, yeah, and Philadelphia. Okay. Um, in addition to what we did in New York, um, honestly, this was always a difficulty because before all of this, before COVID, before all of that, like we were limited by where we were physically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the sort of blessing of this new sort of existence is, is that people are now more open to, to having more virtual discussions and virtual yeah. experiences. We do want to be able to get back in, to in-person events at some point um, once it's safe. But um, this has expanded our reach exponentially. Yeah. Um, so where we had mostly been thinking about our initial plan for the year had been uh, to do a series of events in New York, along with, you know, periodic other events around the country based on our own, you know, travel. Um, you know, we're able to include a lot more people. Um, you know, we had um, we had Trace Nelson speaking with chef uh chef binta who is in africa doing um fulani cuisine um a couple weeks ago and you know we're hoping um um to have uh chef selassie of medidinu um in, in ghana sometime soon uh we have zoe ajanio of uh, zoe's ghana kitchen who's in london um uh, in a conversation next week or possibly the week after. It's like Monday or something. Wait, no, I, I can't keep track of my head. Does all to continue the virtual um, yeah. talks? Okay. You have to figure out what people will want mm-hmm. after this. Um, after, you know, after everything opens up a little bit more. Um, I don't know how soon that is. We don't know what that's going to look like. We'll definitely be doing something. I don't want to keep you all any longer. I thank you so much for chatting with me. Thanks for listening to Savor and Sage Unplugged. To subscribe to the podcast, check out other episodes, and to stay up to date head over to savorandsage.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and thank you for all of your DMs, emails, all those shouts of encouragement. Stay tuned for the next episode, which drops next Sunday.